As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. Joined by Holly Percival, no Greg Evans again, really living up to his name. He's never here. I mean, does he even do the podcast anymore? Does he even work for the Athletic anymore, Holly? I don't really know, but how are you? I'm good, thank you. I don't, yeah. Who is Greg Evans? Because What's happened to he's, that guy? he's not here. He's not here. Um, second way, I'm, I'm sad to be here, though, because I feel like these defeats are stacking up every time I'm on this podcast so I'm starting to believe I'm a bad omen so maybe we do need Greg back I mean I didn't stop believing that you weren't about that you were a bad omen to be honest <laughs> <Thanks. laughs> I felt that I felt that way the entire season Villa season fell apart when you came on this podcast Holly and then I feel like you had a few weeks off recently and we did win a couple of games you did 100% back, back she comes lose one nil yeah Arsenal have won at Villa Park one goal to nil very Boring game, if I'm being honest. It was one of those days, Holly, where I was. The sun was out. It was a lunchtime kickoff. It all felt. Everything felt new for some reason because Villa hadn't had a lunchtime kickoff at home all season. So it's obviously been a few years since there since there was that. I knew I was going out afterwards because it was finishing early. I was buzzing. I was all happy. Thought it would be a good game. Two good sides that would try and play football. It just wasn't a good game, and everything was a bit flat. The performance and the crowd, and yeah, Villa lost one nil, and it wasn't a great match. Probably biased in saying this, but Villa Park on a sunny day is spectacular. Oh, it's and I mean, I've heard of yeah, at. I've heard a lot beautiful. of fans outside of Villa obviously say the exact same thing. However, um, the, the performance from from Aston Villa themselves did not reflect the the beautiful day that that we had. Um, I thought there was great football played, just by all of it was by Arsenal, and uh, was very frustrating to watch. And you mentioned the atmosphere. I I thought if this carries on going the way it's going, there would definitely be booze at full time. So I was a little bit surprised to hear the booze quite prominently through the TV at half time. I think that was more aimed at the officiating, if I'm if I'm being honest. It right. was aimed at the referee. There'd obviously been the Saka and Mings incident, which I'm sure will come on too. And it was just to be honest, 95 minutes. It was very very bitty. It was very stop start. Arsenal. Deserve to win. I've got absolutely no qualms with Arsenal winning that game, but they they, they were very 
cute, I would I would say. They'd go down when they needed to. They'd slow the game down when they needed to. Leno would take all day over, over goal kicks. I think the ref didn't really have control of the game. So I think the boos at halftime were more aimed around that than the, the performance. And I don't remember there being boos at full time, to be honest. It was just one of them days where you just go home and think everything was flat. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I think compared to last season when you'd think about Arteta and whether he'd have any form of a decent game plan, the answer was probably no, he doesn't. But but on the weekend, he just... Everything in in Arsenal's utility was was well structured and well organised. Like you mentioned, Leno taking his time on the kicks, Arsenal pressing high, um, knowing when to press certain players, knowing when to hold their shape. Everything about Arsenal was unbelievably organised, and that it shows why they are pushing for for you know the top four um, at this current moment. Because at the start of the season, you didn't even think that would have been possible no. because they Bottom didn't get four. off to the best starts. No, and I, if anything, we should just blame your vendetta against Arsenal for their really good form now because. I've Apologised since because I got Have them you? very wrong. I got them very wrong. I apologised today on Twitter because I, I, did, I did get them wrong. Arsenal fans come at me all the time on Twitter. You wouldn't believe that how often I get me. Arsenal fans. Have, have a go at me with the with the other stuff that I do and what I've said about Arsenal, but I'm happy to hold my hands up and say I was wrong. They got off to a terrible start. I didn't see the direction the club was going in, but you fast forward and I can absolutely see what they're doing, and I think Arteta's done, done a marvelous job. But I will say I did think they were good on Saturday. But as good as they were, I thought Villa were equally as poor and bad and turgid. So I actually think Arsenal were probably playing in second, third gear. They didn't really need to get out of that to, to, to win the game. I think if they'd needed to, I think they'd, they'd have upped it and scored a few more goals. But I feel like they'd had, they'd had a tough game midweek. They were happy just to win 1-0. Knew Villa weren't going to trouble them. Just see the game out. It was It was a comfortable 1-0, wasn't it? A hundred percent. You could just tell that Arsenal's game plan was was to have more energy than Villa and that paid off for them. The high pressing, the the closing down of the ball when they didn't have possession and ultimately just passing the ball well. Like I don't remember any kind of real big spell where Villa had the ball for a long period of time and were oh, passing well. They didn't well. look after the ball. They couldn't look after no, the ball. They didn't they, have time on the ball. Exactly. They just couldn't figure out how to, how to play out from the back. And I was actually quite surprised to see that that's what Villa's game plan was after the initial 10, 15 minutes because... All Arsenal have done for for majority of this season is is utilise their youth and and their high energy to press high up the pitch. And so I just didn't expect the game plan to be, okay. we'll come to us while we try and play the ball out because it just didn't work. And then ultimately we were just hoofing the ball up the pitch towards Ollie Watkins, who was completely isolated and... Like Ben White is really great aerially, so I was surprised that that was also part of the game plan. He's he's not the fastest centre back in the Premier League, so I I would have expected the ball to be kind of played through the centre backs, and we just we didn't even really attempt that. And you know, Watkins may as well have just not been on the pitch because he just couldn't get involved, and and Arsenal just knew exactly how to to isolate him up there. So it was just basic things in football done right by Arsenal, and basic things by that Villa should have done, nowhere near achieved. Yeah, Gabriel uh, White and Parsi just mopped up everything, really. Not that Villa threw an awful lot at them, but, you know, everything they, they did have to do, they dealt with comfortably, and I don't think any of them would have even had to have washed their kit the next day. It, just, it was just so so comfortable, so so assured. They just, just We didn't really lay a glove on them at all. I thought the, I felt like Villa had more goal kicks than they've, I don't know, than they've ever had, because it just felt like the whole of the first half... Martinez would take a goal kick. We try and play out from the back, and we couldn't get out. I was amazed at Arsenal actually because I've watched a lot of them this season, but I don't know whether I just noticed it more being at the game. But they'd have five players high up from the goal kick, 
and we just we just could not get out from there. And that was why we never really got anything going because we couldn't get the ball to Coutinho. Coutinho wasn't really in the game. I wouldn't say he had a bad game, but he wasn't in the game. But he, he didn't get the ball in any good areas because Villa Villa couldn't get out. Villa couldn't use the ball. And actually, the few times Villa did go direct, they were the times where I felt like we might might have a little bit of joy. And I think Gerard said after the game, you know, that he was we started trying that too late. Which is frustrating because, like you said, that's how you're going to get at Arsenal. They'll 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 deal with what we were trying to do before that. But actually going a little bit direct and trying to utilise Watkins' pace, that might might have hurt them. But it just felt like the entirety of the first half we we were just penned in, and then to make matters worse, we've let in a, a bad goal. I would say, I think it was. I mean, I think all goals were considered bad. Let's face it. But there's an interview with Martinez recently with Ben Foster. Where he said we've I've let a lot I've let a lot of goals in recently that have come through bodies, and it's exactly the same for the goal on on Saturday. Villa don't react quick enough. They don't deal with the second ball. There's not bodies on the line. It's just just a poor goal, and it, and it was coming because I think Arsenal were on top at that point, and they were causing us problems. That they seemed to manage to just find space every time they came forward. And when Villa had the ball, it was just cul-de-sac after after cul-de-sac. So I think the goal was deserved. But it just feels like another nothing poor goal to concede, really. The defensive line just wasn't kind of returning to like its compact structure that it should have been. And like you said, there was those gaps in, in that defensive line and ultimately allowed Arsenal to have that shot. And I thought the same as you when that goal initially, when the ball initially hit the back of the net, I thought, how has how Martinez not saved that shot? Because it looked fairly close to him. And then you kind of see the angle on the replay behind the goal and there is just bodies galore in front of Martinez. So it's understandable, no, that he can't see the ball until it's it's literally right at him. Um, obviously, he made that unbelievable quick reaction save when Conzer almost scored the own goal. But, um, that was a great save. It's an underrated save. It hasn't been talked about Massively enough. underrated. Unbelievable yeah. save. Um, so it was a shame, obviously, that he wasn't able to kind of react quick enough to, to the shot that did go in. Um, but... I agree with you. There's, there's there's just not that reaction again from Villa and I, it's quite confusing because I don't know whether Gerard has now got to reassess maybe that centre-back pairing. I've said it before, I do love Esri Konza. However, Mings looked a bit fresher and kind of more alert and more sharp with Chambers next to him. Obviously, he then didn't play on the weekend. So is that something that Gerard goes back to to kind of, I don't know, add a bit more enthusiasm to Tyro Mings's play as well and maybe even just being in the England camp the next couple of weeks will help Mings kind of become revitalised because I feel like every time he has come back from an England camp he's looked better and looked sharper and looked fresh so hopefully that will kind of help naturally fix those kind of little pockets of holes that the defensive line has been showing and allowing to creep in and also I mean Ashley Young being in over Dean has not helped in my opinion he's not really filled that role to the standard that we would want him to so I think it's a lot of changes that have kind of probably caused those issues as well yeah well it's not the most interesting games I have to talk about on a Villa podcast because not a lot happened from a Villa perspective but probably the main talking point from the game is that Tyrone Mings tackle slash pass that was given as a foul it's caused a lot of debate and it's we know we're going to talk to Nick Miller a little bit later on about what Gerard's reaction was to, to Saka and the, and the whole Mings incident as well but from my perspective, I don't know whether you agree with me, I don't think it was a foul. I think he was stretching to pass the ball, which he achieved. I don't think his foot was in any kind of unnatural position. I don't think he's followed through. I think his foot has gone where your foot would go when you're lunging to make, make a pass, as he was. And it was given as a foul and Ming's booked. But I've seen some reactions that are absolutely ap- apoplectic, saying definite red card in the, in the, in the modern day. For me... I don't even think it was a foul. 
What do you think? I do agree with you. And I feel like I am quite clinical in terms of if I think there's a penalty that, that goes against Villa or a foul that goes against Villa, then I think then I would say that. But I, I agree with you in the fact that Mings is already stretched and also his foot position. He can't point his um, studs down to the floor. That's It's a massively unnatural position for him to move his ankle to because obviously I know that a lot of the talking point was his kind of studs are the thing that made contact with Saka. Because he's passed the ball. That's what I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what happen. I mean. Yeah, that's the only way his foot can be positioned. Um, also, the the because obviously it was Villa's possession. I don't know how you can give a foul to the other team when you are fully in in control of the ball and have possession because it was never Saka's ball to have in the first place to kind of draw out the foul. So um, I'm not saying Saka could have avoided being having made contact with Mings, but Mings, if if you watch the replays back, is the one that leaves the floor first, that kind of makes that movement first. Saka is the second player to move towards the ball. So it's I don't get it, in all honesty. Um, like a lot of Villa fans that I've seen on Twitter, it just doesn't make sense to me um, not that it means that I agree with Steven Gerrard's kind of comments about how Saka needs to toughen up but I just don't agree that that's, that that's a foul No, We've got Nick Miller coming on the podcast who's wrote an article based on the total roamings and Saka and, and what Steven Gerrard said after the game so we'll bring him in later and talk, talk to him about that which should be an, an interesting topic because it's a quite a controversial piece and that's what Nick Miller does for the athletics that's very nice of him to come on and talk to us on the podcast Talking to Steven Gerrard, he clearly wasn't happy at all, and I don't blame him because it was a bad performance, but he spoke to BT Sports' Des Kelly after the final whistle, and Des put it to him that Villa showed Arsenal too much respect. Here's what Villa's manager had to say in reaction to that. Yes, I think individually and collectively we maybe done that. Um, we wanted to be organised. We wanted them to have the ball in certain areas, i.e. the centre-backs and go outside our shape. But we set up today to be aggressive and go to work in that shape. I thought we didn't. I thought we lacked a little bit of belief what we were doing. And um, I thought certain individuals lacked a little belief. So it's difficult to execute a game plan, what you want and how you want it to look if not everyone believes in it. Second half, um, I thought we believed in it a lot more. Okay, we went back to front a little bit quicker. We wanted to test the centre backs and make it a little bit more about their defence second half. But I think across the board we had more more belief. We were less indecisive, and um, on the back of that we managed to create probably three or four interesting moments in the game. But um, overall, we've certainly got no complaints in terms of the scoreline. I don't think you got a shot on target until right at the death there. Yeah, that's exactly how I've just described the game to you, though, is it not? Not good enough first half and then improved second half. And we, we pushed at the end, got some good crosses in, created more interesting moments. And I thought the performance was a lot more positive second half. Um, but well done for spotting that. <laughs> <laughs> well, since April, I mean, you've made a lot of progress, but you've, you've lost to Manchester City, to Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal. So there is still that gap that you have to close. And it's yeah, well done, Des, for, for recognising that. And no, if you'd ask me that question, that. I would say that, you know, the league doesn't lie. And yep. um, I'd say that Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, West Ham Wolves at the moment are ahead of us for a reason and there's a gap and that's where we're striving to do but if we want to take one of them places we've got to be positive, we've got to believe in it, we can't be indecisive, we've got to go and grab it off them, we've got to go and really believe in what we're doing, keep learning, and evolve and get support from up above and we've got to go and try and grab it off them but I do like the way you work them things out pretty quick. And I think you're aggressive in the interview and you should tell your players to do the no, same thing. I'll tell you what I am in the interview. I, I'm emotional, I care, yeah, I don't understand. like getting beat and um, I actually thought your questions would be a little bit more better in all honesty. No no disrespect, Des, I'm not That's making right. it personal but you've just said to me um, there's a gap to Manchester United City and blah blah blah, we know that. Um, yeah. And you also said 
Um, we got one shot on target towards the end of the game. Yeah. That's how I describe the game as well. Yeah, so we both okay. agree on something. Like. Cheers, Des. All the best, fella. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't conducting that post-match interview. I do, th- <laughs> I do think he might know Des Kelly quite well, is, is what I will say. So I know it came across quite prickly and spiky, and I could be completely wrong, but I think they might know each other reasonably well. But worrying thing, the most worrying thing from that interview for me is that he said he set the team up to be aggressive, Holler. We just, we just were not at all. So if we're setting a term to be a certain way and you don't see anything resembling that term in the game, that is a concern. Massively. I, like I said before, it was almost like we didn't expect Arsenal to be pressing so high and have so many men within our half, even when we had possession. And I, I, I don't know whether it, I guess maybe you could see that as giving Arsenal too much respect or maybe it was just pure shell shock. Um, Villa went into the game with that plan of, of being aggressive and Arsenal just said, we're not going to allow you to do that. And it was just like, OK, well, you need those leaders in that team, Taro Mings, Martinez, McGinn, for example, to say, OK, well, that's not working. So this is what we need to do to change that. But it just felt like no one kind of took that leadership to say, OK, this is what we need to do differently. And like Gerard said, they didn't really change what they were doing in terms of their approach to the game until right towards the end. And and either Gerard needs to be making that kind of decision quicker and relaying that to the team or you need those leaders on the pitch to make that decision for Gerard and for the coaching staff and change the game to to be more in your favour so it's it's worry it is a little bit worrying if I'm honest when you hear your manager say we wanted to play aggressive football and it was far from that yeah and Villa have had an abhorrent record against the top sides this season Des Kelly alluded to it there but we've got an awful record against anyone that's above us basically in, in the table and 180 minutes against Arsenal yeah the away game was bad as well two different managers the common denominator is the players so you could say you know Gerard needs a pre-season not only just for transfers but to actually get his messages across as well and get the fitness and things up to the level that he wants it to be at because it's not his team at the moment I think there's some very good players there that Gerard would have been surprised at how good some of them are and he will try and mould a lot of them into what he wants but he does need a summer for a multitude of reasons. I mean, you're, he's kind of already missing that backbone of, of having that key defensive midfielder that, that he was looking for in the, in the giant transfer window and, and unfortunately didn't get. So I think he's already kind of got those ideas of who he brings in in his mind and, and will want to get that through as quickly as possible, obviously, once the season's finished. Um, but ultimately, for Villa, you have to kind of focus on the now. And I, I think, again, you... Uh, Des Kelly and, and, and Gerard might have a really good relationship, but I can see why Gerard is also frustrated when Des Kelly is referring to losing to, you know, the four best teams in, in the Premier League and also potentially the whole of Europe because majority of those it can are, happen, can't it? Yeah. Those those are they're competing in Champions League football, for example, or uh, Europa League football. And there's for me, there's a middle step between Villa beating those teams and where they are now, which is you've got to beat the teams that are below those and, and pushing Villa out of the top 10 or, or out of the top seven. So I think it's a bit unfair to to say we'll compare Villa to those big teams and and kind of put that on to Gerrard because I would also be very frustrated if I was in Gerrard's shoes there. So it's a tricky one for Villa, isn't it? Because they everyone knows what they want to achieve, but it's, it's not going to happen overnight and it's not going to happen definitely this season either. I will say an off-the-cuff comment from me here is that we finished 11th last season, I think it was, and we're ninth at the moment. Last season, we didn't have too much trouble against the the, be- the better sides. I feel like we, we, we did all right against them, whereas this season it's been the complete opposite, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that might be overshadowed slightly, obviously, by the 7-2 win over, over Liverpool, but they were, they were obviously 
Uh, we know, beat Arsenal twice. I know Arsenal were a worse side, beat, weren't they? Yeah, Arsenal, Arsenal were a lot different. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, beat them twice. Beat Spurs once, I think. I think Spurs are again diff more different enough this season compared to last season, especially under Conte compared to to Nuno. So I again I. It's, <laughs> I feel like they've changed for the better and we haven't changed much at all. So I, I would kind of, technically on paper, in my mind, it makes sense that we would lose to those kind of teams this season. And like you said, it's ultimately the, the summer transfer window wasn't Gerard's transfer window with Villa. So he's only had one transfer window to try and get the team that he wants. So again, it's just more about time and, and the long-term investment. And records are there to be broken, Holly. So it's Wolves next for Villa, a side that's above Villa in the league. So a good chance to extinguish that record that they've got so far this season. But Wolves have already damaged Villa season once already with that horrible game at Villa Park in October. So it is actually now the battle of the sides that can't hold on to a two-goal lead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to have nightmares just even just discussing the Wolves game um, and coming coming up against them uh, in the next game. I, I, Villa will have a vendetta. They'll want to make sure that they do not let any form of lead if they have one slide against this Wolves side. But they are... Wolves are uh, eighth for a reason. They've they've had some really positive performance against some of the best teams. Obviously, like you said, they have also dropped leads as well, like Villa this season. So it's definitely realistic to to think that Villa can come out on top of of Wolves in this game. But again, they've proved why they've got. I believe it's a nine or a ten point lead over Villa, and we're we're only one place below them. So yeah. Wolves have that wiggle room, whereas Villa need to fight for those points to stay in the top ten. So. I guess it's just a bit of who wants it's going to be that cliche who wants it more on the day kind of thing and and for me I think Villa are in dire need of those three points more I would say than than Wolves currently are. Yeah Villa went there and won last season with a light penalty from Anwar El Ghazi. Now, I don't know whether anyone remembers him but we used to have a guy on this podcast and he used to write for the Athletic called Greg Evans. He has actually done a piece <laughs> based around the Aston Villa Arsenal game. So it's basically looking at the fact that Villa were very reactive rather than proactive. I'm not even sure we were reactive, to be honest. But if you haven't read the piece, go and read it. And if you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do that at the moment for just a pound a month for the first six months. Head to theathletic.com slash villapod and you'll get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com slash villapod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. (laughs) 
As we've heard, Aston Villa's manager was in a prickly mood after the defeat at Villa Park. As well as taking umbrage, he was also slightly narked by the suggestion that pacey but fragile winger Bakayo Saka should be protected from the brutal physicality of gargantuan centre-back Tyrone Mings. The Athletics' chief correspondent for random things is Nick Miller. He didn't take sides on the nature of the challenge, but he was rather put out by Steven Gerrard's patronising tone when he dished out a few words of advice to the young gunner. Nick, welcome to the 1874 podcast. A cynic might say that columnists are paid to stoke fires. I'm not saying that that's what you were doing, but what was the motivation for wading in on this debate? <laughs> wading in, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it just uh, struck me as a slightly, odd, well, a very odd thing for Gerald to say. And, you know, it, 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 I suppose it was kind of combined with a couple of other slightly odd things that managers said over the weekend. There was... Sure, you will have seen Frank Lampard complaining about his team lacking bollocks. Um, so it all kind of fitted with a piece of the, particularly of the, obviously those two managers um, expressing kind of old man shouts at cloud kind of opinions. Which I don't know. You don't. You you, you, you almost you kind of like to think that these two, you know, two of the younger managers in the, in the division, that they might have. Um, I don't know. The, the, those uh, those kind of attitudes might be slightly in the past, but um, the, the Lampard and Gerrard are obviously quite proud of their old school like characteristics. So yeah, that was that was why I uh, waded in. I mean, he was obviously in quite a prickly and spiky mood after the game. Anyway, I think in other interviews that he's done, it's quite clear that he wasn't best pleased post match. But what I found quite bizarre about it was that. He isn't actually an old school manager at all. You know, the way the way he wants his team to play, the the nature of his coaching setup is quite niche. The coaches do a lot of the work and he's more of the overseer. So he's not old school at all, but those comments were very old school. I often just kind of think that that some that there is a tendency with some managers, who particularly managers who have come some quite sort of progressive uh, coaching techniques or some progressive methods that they say these kind of proper football men type things in public to almost kind of I don't know mask their status as a as kind of new and progressive thinking I mean a, a kind of extreme example of that is Sam Allardyce who particularly you know when he was managing Bolton, he was very he had used some very progressive methods and was very open-minded in terms of his um what techniques he would use and various forms of technology that you know we all know a lot about but in with his kind of media statements and uh, and uh, appearances and interviews and so on you couldn't get a, a more kind of old-fashioned proper football man so um i, I do think that that what managers say in public doesn't necessarily reflect what sort of coach or manager they are Holly, what did you make of, of Gerard's comments after the game? And, and what did you make of Nick's article as well? It's quite funny because I said to Nick in the office before I read it that I was slightly reluctant to read it because obviously I think like a lot of Villa fans, they've been really enjoyed having Gerard in charge and, and you know that's also why a lot of Liverpool fans have started taking notice of how Villa do as well. So a lot of eyes are on Gerard. So when when the full-time whistle blew and it it was a dreadful performance... I can see why Gerard has let that frustration come out in the post-match interviews and what he said. Um, and again, I, I annoyingly, I do agree with Nick's piece because it is spot on. What Gerard said just doesn't really make sense in the grand scheme of things. And um, I just think, 
I hope that it kind of isn't something that will accumulate with Gerard and that frustration will, will kind of go into the team. Perhaps that's why he's also, you know, sent the players away um, for a week to kind of let that kind of dust settle. But I just think he needs to be thinking about how he's saying those things. Um, if he's a man who is so traditional, like he kind of hinted at being in those quotes of, of the game being physical, I think he should be a bit more traditional and, and let kind of the game speak for itself, which he just did not let happen over the weekend. So... I'm hoping it's not a theatric that becomes a regular occurrence for Gerard because I just don't think Villa need that kind of unnecessary attention, which is what ultimately these quotes have brought Villa over the last few days. Yeah, I found myself in a quite an uncomfortable position where as a Villa fan, you know, I want to back Villa. I'm coming on the Villa podcast. I want to talk about Villa in a positive way and back everyone up that's associated with Villa. But I think because the way I personally spoke about Jack Grealish needing protection last season, Nick, he obviously gets kicked from pillar to post every single game, or at least he did when he when he was at Villa. He was the most foul player in the Prem by, by an absolute mob. found myself in a position where I absolutely had to agree with, with what you said anyway. But also, that I wanted to ask you about the, the badge of honour element to your article that, that, that you spoke about. Because he did almost come out and talk about all the ailments and all the things he's got wrong with him as something that he should be proud of. But ultimately, as a human being, I'm sure he would rather not have those things. Absolutely. It's... This wasn't something I. Uh, this was something I wrote, but then cut out of the piece because it didn't really fit in it properly. But um, it was kind of reminded of um, a few examples of players who have, who, who like Gerard, had all these knocks when they were a player and had all these ailments after they retired, and have subsequently kind of said it wasn't worth it. You know, I, I wish I, I had, I had said, you know, I, I, I shouldn't play when I'm not. When, when I'm hurt, the most kind of glaring example was Marco van Basten, who could barely walk after he uh, after his playing career, and and actually said at some point it wasn't worth it. Now, you know, this is actual Marco van Basten, who lots of people think is like you know one of the greatest strikers of the last forty fifty years. So, yeah, I mean, the the idea of all this being a badge of honor is just quite strange to me, and it was just the way that he. But he seemed to, when he was speaking, believe that he was making one argument, but he was actually providing great evidence for the the complete opposite argument that yes, players possibly should, you know, should uh, get a little bit more protection from referees. In terms of what that protection is from referees, it's a slightly kind of slightly woolly topic, and I'm not other than you know dishing out more bookings or more red cards. You're not entirely sure what that more protection. Um, would actually look like, but um, I mean, the, the other thing is that he—it's—it's it's not something I want to particularly dwell on in in the piece, but he has actually said similar things to to this before, as, as in uh, similar things to you know he he when he was at Rangers he he said he was you know, complained that um, some of his players in a game against Kilmarnock I think it was weren't getting enough protection. So he clearly recognises that it can be a problem. He, he and, and, you know, as you said, he it was a bad performance. He wasn't in a good mood. Maybe we should kind of cut managers a little bit of slack when they're talking, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour after after a game and they say something that they, they might regret. But it's clear that he does recognise that it can be a problem. And Holly and I have already covered this, but the Tyrone Mings tackle... Oh, pass! I think it was actually a pass. I don't. I don't think it was a foul. But then I also don't think Saka's done much wrong either in terms of he he did. There was contact. 
it, it will have hurt. But I don't think he was targeted outrageously in in, in the game, Saka. But I get I get the point of that. He, you know, players want in the modern day a little bit of protection. Yeah, and uh, the, the the other thing that I, again I didn't really write very much in about in in the piece, but it has occurred to me is that I mean. What would what would like someone like I don't know Jacob Ramsey think uh, uh, when he hears his manager say something like that? Does he not think that you know a similar similar sort of attacking player to Saka, a similar player who is going to get kicked around a bit? And you know, as as you mentioned before, someone like Jack Grealish, Villa player who has had some dreadful treatment from various you know big meaty defenders who want to kick lumps out of him. So, what does a young player who plays for for Villa, what will they think when a manager basically just tells them to, you know, shut up, put up, and take the kicks? And if you have a pins in your hip and have to have sixteen operations in your career, then you know, that's what I did, and that that that's what that's what a real man is. So, stop complaining. Um, it, I mean, it, it'd be interest. It will be quite interesting to see um, what he says. If that does happen further down the line, if you know Ramsey or Coutinho or whoever it is gets lumps kicked out, but I hate saying it because it makes me feel really old. But it is a different era now to when Steve and Gerard played. So, and attitudes to bravery, they have changed. You know, there's the change in concussion protocols, and it's been driven primarily by other sports. But things do change because times change. Yeah, that, and even like the, the, the game has changed, and the, the, the attitudes to what. <laughs> what you know what what kind of things we should celebrate and uh, the, 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 this uh, another thing which I, I mentioned in the piece but again using the um the uh ex- excuse is probably the wrong word but giving cutting a managers a little bit of slack uh, uh for what they say after games possibly i shouldn't have uh, mentioned this in the article but i think it's probably a point worth raising is that he's telling Saka to basically telling Saka to toughen up here, and he means it in a physical sense. But the amount of abuse that some that Saka has had to suffer in the last, you know, six months or uh, whenever it is since the missed penalty in the Euro twenty twenty final, I'm sure Gerard uh, probably didn't think of this because it's it's not something that will necessarily go through your mind you know half an hour after you've lost the game and played really badly. But it did seem to be a a, a particularly. Um, Unwise target to tell someone to toughen up when when someone like Saka has had to deal with, with what he's dealt with, and the, I think for the positive attitudes towards that are towards that kind of thing are changing. In you know, even twenty well twenty five years ago when Gareth Southgate missed a penalty um, in the Euro ninety six final, there wasn't quite as it's obviously different situations because there are, there are different elements to the the abuse and the backlash, but he was kind of mocked and basically told, I, I, as I recall it anyway, there wasn't a huge amount of sympathy for him. It was, you know, he just told to kind of man up and get on with it. And I think, thankfully, that sort of attitude, generally speaking, is changing. And that's another reason why uh, Gerard's comments jarred so much. Thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast today, Nick. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking to you again when something controversial happens. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for having me on. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. 
The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We move on now to the any other business section of the podcast, Holly. And Ollie Watkins has received a call-up to the England squad, a light call-up after a few withdrawals. England have got a couple of games in this international break. You were a little bit surprised. I'm going to put words in your mouth there, but you were a little bit surprised he's received the call-up. Um, it's a good question. I feel like, based off recent performances, a little bit. I mean, also, if you think about the list of other potential strikers that could have been called up, in my mind, that list is pretty limited. I mean, I don't think like the likes of Dominic Calvert-Lewin deserves the call-up either. He I'd put him played. on the same level. Yeah, I'd put him on the same level as Watkins in terms of either not played or not performing well. Um, so I'm not really sure who else Gareth Southgate could have turned to to, to call on. Um, Ivan Tony, maybe. I'm just trying to think of. His yeah, again, it would have to be people that that haven't really had a call up before, and I guess maybe Southgate wouldn't want too many debutants to be in the same camp. Even though obviously it is just friendlies, um, I guess he probably still wants that structure to be within the camp and and have those kind of familiar names and faces. I mean, he'd already taken Kyle Walker out of the team to allow some fresh faces to enter. So um, I guess it's just finding that balance. But I'm, I just hope that it kind of gives Ollie Watkins the boost of confidence that he clearly does need. Um, it's kind of that question of do you want do you want that player to rest or do you want that player to do club specific training while the international breaks on or would you rather they go out and get some kind of international game time and, and boost their confidence? So I'm hoping it can only be a good thing for Ollie Watkins. I guess he was unlucky to miss out on the Euro squad. I think he was injured a couple of times when the squads were named this season. So maybe it's more of a reward for over over long term rather than you know if you look at his goal record over the last twelve months in terms of English players, it's right up there. So in that you know, in, in some respects he, he does deserve that and he has scored a couple of goals recently as well. So yeah, actually maybe I've talked myself into it being a, a fair call up, which is nice. The rest of the squad will either be on international duty or doing some warm weather training left to their own devices, although Stephen Gerrard has given them specific instructions. I think from the twenty man squad that played on Saturday, I think ten are on international duty, Holly, and ten are going away on a little holiday. Because it is a holiday. Let's face it. Even if you work and if you go abroad. I still class that as a holiday. But the good news is someone that could be back for the Wolves game is Marvellous Nakamba. Hit some good form when Steven Gerrard first arrived on him and then unfortunately picked up an injury and we haven't seen him for a while. But if he could be back for the Wolves game, I doubt he'd start, but could be a crucial player for the running. Definitely. Um, it's music to my ears and I think a lot of Villa fans' ears to hear that Marvellous Nakamba is, is nearing his return. Um, I feel like in the Arsenal game it was ever more prevalent that Villa do need a, a, a natural defensive midfielder. Obviously Douglas Louise has been filling that role, whereas he prefer, prefers to play more attacking midfield role. So um, bringing Marvellous Nakamba back will be great for Villa in my opinion. But I, again, like you just said, he probably won't start and I, I don't think that wants to be rushed either by Villa or the fans. So Hopefully he can be integrated back in at the right time and and put on a positive performance. 
yeah, it'd be great to see him back. I mean, it's Wednesday today when we're recording the podcast, but yesterday on Tuesday it was the late Dalian Atkinson's birthday. So happy heavenly birthday to Dalian Atkinson. Sorely missed every single day. So we're going to take a little trip down memory lane now. Scorer of a magnificent goal against Wimbledon in 1992. Here's the audio commentary of that with some wonderful music played in as well. Dalian Atkinson, he's done well, he's got uh, Saunders away to his right, but he's got a bit of a run on here, Atkinson, it's a great run, now what about the finish, oh that's not bad either, a masterpiece from Dalian Atkinson. music will forever make me feel good holly i need to remember if i'm ever feeling down just play that lightning seeds music and it'll take me back to a happier time in my childhood talking of that music that's the goal of the season music and it's also the goal of the month music for match of the day that season villa had four out of the seven nominees for goal of the season holly unprecedented times that's never happened in, in the, i was gonna in say it's hard it's hard to since. believe that was possible hard to believe it's possible um, I'd, I'd like to see any one of those goals happen this season for Villa, and I, I think I'd be running down the street screaming because that all all of the goals on that season are unbelievable, um, individually and as a team. So I, we need to bring that music back as well. I need that oh, in my life music, more. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm slightly too young to life have it. Life of Riley, I think it's called. Uh, it's brilliant. I want it back. What a piece of music! I mean, I'm trying trying to think. I made a joke to you whilst that was playing about. I don't think we've got a go- one goal of the season. So if I we've scored some decent good goals, but I don't think we'd have any that would make it into goal of the season off the top of my head, unless I'm completely forgetting something. Danny Ings, maybe. Danny Ings is over a kick against yeah. Newcastle, perhaps. That was pretty good. None that warrants the music, though, in my opinion, at this current moment in time. But I, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Yeah, we've scored some good goals, like I say. I can think of other good goals, but nothing that I think would get nominated across the whole Premier League for, for goal of the season. Let's make, let's make that happen before the end of the season, Villa. I want, I want something to make. That's a tar- that should be a target for someone. I don't know whether any players listen to this podcast. Wait, I want to. I want to see a player score a goal that makes it into the goal of the goal of the season on match of the day at the end of the season. That should be an ambition. Forget finishing top half. Let's let's get a goal of the season contender. That's what we all want to see. Our colleague Adam Hurry retweeted a magnificent photo of the Daly and Atkinson celebration in that game. It was taken by Villa fan at Nick Vegas. Do go and check it out. I think I retweeted it as well. It's a marvelous photo. Honestly. Such I've used the word marvellous too many times recently. I think because we were just talking about Nakamba, it stayed in my brain. But yeah, it's a great photo. Do go and check that out. That does us for this week's iteration of 1874. Thanks ever so much to Holly and thanks ever so much to Nick for joining us as well. Don't forget, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, it's just a pound a month for your first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com slash villapod. We'll be back next week. I imagine we'll do some form of mailbag, so keep your eyes on The Athletic and our Twitter feeds and we'll try and get something out there and we'll do a mailbag next week. Thanks ever so much for listening. Up the Villa. Oh, it's Atkinson. He fooled Anderson. What a goal! What a goal by Dalian Atkinson. That's a very good ball down the line by Froggart. And he's found Gary Parker. And they've got three the other way. And Staunton makes the extra man on this side. Here, number three. And York's coming in. What a splendid goal by Aston Villa. 
themselves some space. Time to look. McGrath. Forward by Parker. Staunton allowed to run and York puts it in. 1 0, second minute. Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every Finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts.